name's Steve Mackey. I'm the owner pharmacist at Spruce Mountain Pharmacy in Jay. We're in the Western Mountains of Maine. We're about an hour and a half northwest of Portland. We're a hybrid pharmacy, so we're offering traditional retail pharmacy services plus compounding. We're using the Computer Rx software here to make us kind of unique in the market. We use the uh, RxSafe Rapid Pack script packaging program and hardware to make compliance packaging available for our patients who choose to have that as a service that we offer. When we brought the Rapid Pack pill packer into the system, we brought that in the same time we moved to the new building. And I remember seeing the machine roll in and I was over the moon. I'm like, oh my gosh, the pill packing machine is here. I am so excited for this. That pill packing system has been a growth point of my pharmacy. To learn more about how the RX Safe Rapid Pack system can help improve your pharmacy's efficiency and revenue, visit rxsafe.com. That's rxsafe.com. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. How will the future of pharmacy take shape? We are in a dynamic stage right now in history when it comes to our healthcare system, pharmacists' roles changing, pharmacist technicians' roles changing. And as innovations in life science and new technology disrupt the healthcare value chain, consumers are increasingly focused on well-being, demanding greater healthcare access, even accessing their own records and, and understanding those records and how medicines impact them, procedures impacting them, transparency impacting them, convenience and customized products, uh, digital pills that we ingest and telling um, how it's going to impact a, a person's health ongoing and treatment. This environment, it's exciting. This is an exciting time to be in pharmacy. And those opportunities are emerging for pharmacists to evolve and expand their role in healthcare as practitioners, as providers, and in, in changing the game of pharmacy. And if you're entrepreneurial and you're in pharmacy right now and you want to understand those changes, I, I couldn't think of a, a better person that's already studied the future of pharmacy to bring on today's episode. My name is Todd Yuri. This is the Pharmacy Podcast Nation. And I'd like to welcome George Van Antwerp to the uh, show with Deloitte. Welcome, George. Thanks, Todd. Glad to be back on here and see you. Looking forward to the discussion. If listeners didn't hear what George just said, he said back on, embarrassingly for me, back when I didn't know how to podcast, uh, George was on episode 25. And I think we're on like episode 1,380 or something. So George, this is this has been a while um, and, and we've both gone through some uh, career changes uh, through the years. And I just want uh, you to to bring our listeners up to date about you and, and a little bit about your background and, and why you're so interested in the future of pharmacy. Sure. Yeah, I've had the, the luxury of working in the pharmacy space now for about 20 years. Uh, I'm not a pharmacist. So, you know, I'll make that clear for people while I will probably get a little bit over my skis as we talk about some of the exciting things. But yeah, I had the chance to work in the PBM world, which you know, I know not everybody's always a fan of. But uh, you know, to work on generics, to work on 
you know, how to drive patient behavior or how to engage them. Then went and did uh, four different startups, again, working on a lot of different patient engagement, clinical programs, care management, case management, and others. And then spent the past seven years at Deloitte, where I lead a lot of our pharmacy strategy work. So working with health plans, retail pharmacies, specialty pharmacies, PBMs, hospital pharmacy, and some pharma companies. So get to see the same problem from a lot of different perspectives, which is really interesting. George, tell me about Deloitte's interest in the pharmacy sector of healthcare. Well, I think the interest really revolves around, you know, we know how fast the healthcare sector is growing. And we also know that, you know, pharmacy is the most used benefit. So as we work with our clients, you know, health plan clients are concerned about pharmacy spend. And, you know, as pharmacy spend has gone up, you know, driven in many ways by specialty pharmacy, you know, there's really this more acute need or focus on how to manage drug spend. But I think also you're seeing, as we've seen the integration of PBM and health plan come together, a more holistic view of how do we care for the complex patients that have, you know, that either polychronic or have a specialty condition and drive significant healthcare costs. And so with all that, you know, Deloitte works with our clients to really help them with everything from strategy to go to market, technology implementations, and then obviously the tax and audit side of the business also. Um, So that just allows us as our clients are trying to manage and navigate this space to help them with all of their problems and work across the spectrum, in some cases connecting across the ecosystem, in some cases helping with M&A, get into a lot of conversations today as we're going to talk about with just all the innovation that's happening, all the PE money and venture capital money that's flowing into this space to disrupt, you know, what's happening or to launch new models. A lot of that drives discussions with the incumbents also of, you know, what does it mean as somebody that's well capitalized comes into this space? So it's been, as you say, a really exciting time. And I think a lot of the, you know, traditional assumptions are being re-challenged about, you know, what does it mean to do delivery versus mail versus, you know, going into a store. COVID has accelerated some of those things. How do we blend telehealth and telepharmacy together and what could that look like? So, yeah, it's a great time right now for somebody both, you know, looking to be innovative, but also somebody that's looking to figure out how do I keep up with all the changes. If you're in the role of business development, research, if you're going to national conferences, which is finally starting back up, I can't believe I'm hearing myself say this, George, but I actually miss conferences where, you know, post or pre-pandemic, I was getting sick of traveling as much. And now I'm like, hey, when's the next conference? I want to get out there and and actually see people. But if you've been in this um, sector of healthcare for more than five years, I, I think of the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. And I think I can, I could say I have three degrees of, of Todd Urey or three degrees of George Van Antwerp that, that you and I uh, know a lot of the same organizations that are in fact, part of this change, part of this transformation. Uh, your paper, by the way, in the, in the, the, the article that you, that you built out, and we're going to actually include this in the show notes, um, which was titled The Future of Pharmacy, Disruption Creates Transformative Opportunities and Challenges. Really interesting. It's the whole reason I reached out to you again, not really um, that alone, because I really wanted to get you back on the on the podcast, but 
really dig into this and, and think of how technology is driving uh, the disruption. However, how technology in the hands of a, a clinical focused, consultative, uh, consultative focused pharmacist, rather that be in disease state or research or public health or technology or uh, drug development, regardless how it's going to help them to make those changes uh, to their specific roles, but also the impact they're going to have on patients' lives. So let's get into this research that you've done and um, and talk about some of the high levels of, of this um, amazing research that you've done. I've really enjoyed this. I actually bookmarked this specific page to reference on other podcasts um, based on your research. So this has been um, this has been very impressive, George. But there's a there's a section called Future of the Pharmacist. So let's talk about the ecosystem that you talk about. Yeah. So I think you know as we think about it, I think of pharmacy in two ways, and I think you've alluded to some of that. You have the distribution side and fulfillment side, but then you have the whole clinical services side. And so I think when we started, the ambition here was we, Deloitte, had put out a paper talking about the future of health that looked out 20 years. And so essentially a few innovation cycles forward and said, you know, how do we think care will be delivered? How will it shift from, you know, uh, reactive to, you know, proactive? And then I said, well, great. Now let's take that to pharmacy and think about, you know, what's happening from a clinical perspective. We could talk about digital therapeutics. We could talk about shift to specialty. We could think about things like CRISPR and how that changes, you know, treatment protocols. But we could also think about just the amazing things happening with AI and technology. And as we got into that and looked very futuristic, you know, the reality as we talked to clients and people were, okay, I buy that that's a future scenario that could come about. What do I do today? And, you know, I think a lot of the reality was looking at the pharmacist and the retail presence very differently. So what does it mean when patients are, physically visiting you? How do you engage them differently? Does the pharmacist have to be counting pills and trying to do clinical counseling? How do you free up more time? How do you get the right data into their hands? And so as we started experimenting there and thinking about things, it led to some fascinating conversations. We we ended up talking at PQA and AMCP earlier this year. We interviewed some IDNs like Isinger and, and Kaiser. We interviewed a bunch of tech companies uh, such as DocStation and Tabula Rasa and others about what they were doing. And as you started to see it, and we drew this kind of picture of, you know, first you have to take the data in, you have to normalize it. Hey, you got to get more data than we have today as a pharmacist. You know, how do you get diagnosis codes? How do you get, you know, social determinants of health data? You know, how do you use that data to actually score a patient? How do you understand how to engage them? Uh, and then looking at, as you got the data and you started to get care gaps and other things from you know, payers and others that were sending that to you as a pharmacist, what do you do with it? How do you engage? How do you begin to operate at the top of your license? What legally do we need from you know, uh, relationships with physicians? Uh, what do we need from regulatory perspective? What can be done without a regulatory change, but where you could get reimbursed under medical billing and others? And so you know, what we found is lots of really exciting things were already actually happening. While a lot of us talk about, oh, this has been something we've wanted for 20 years, you know, we started to see that people were actually just doing. There were cases where, you know, a health plan was paying independent pharmacists a PMPM rate to engage diabetics and that they were getting great results in reducing total medical spend. We saw that, 
you know, in these IDN relationships, you know, after a patient was diagnosed with diabetes, you know, the pharmacist was the one managing that patient. And again, lowering total medical costs on those diabetics. And you know, that's the easy condition we all talk about, you know, uh, ever since Asheville, you know, diabetes has been one of the primary conditions everybody looks at, but you can continue to expand beyond that. You look at oncology practices and you see embedded pharmacists going into oncology practices done with some of my hospital clients. I've seen it in a few other cases and that pharmacists can help with care pathways, can help with you know, titration, can help with really understanding the patient and lab results. And that starts to be you know, exciting. I think in COVID, we saw you know, really exciting things happening where you know, states were allowing the pharmacist to you know, take and interpret lab results, to even you know, prescribe, as we've seen already prescribing around birth control and other instances. But you know, our perception is as that continues to expand, if we think about a physician shortage you know, over time and increased use of medication, both you know, prescribed and over the counter, and even getting into nutraceuticals and others, the role of the pharmacist as both easy access within the community level, high relationship with a patient, along with their training and education, the ability to give them and make them part of that care team really could be game-changing in many ways. So I think of a report that came out of the American Academic Medicine Community, the AAMC, and this report um, noted that there is going to be a shortfall of 139,000 physicians by 2033 based on the fact that two of five active physicians right now will be reaching retirement um, over the next decade. So that kind of metrics show that other healthcare providers and with the coming of provider status, for example, there will be other services, there will be other things that a patient can rely on their, their pharmacist to do for them um, along with the team approach um, surrounding that patient with the primary care and then kicking that treatment off to being managed by a pharmacist and, and digging into other things that are going to impact um, patients and consumers living better, living longer. Um, and living healthier, just as you said, with uh, things like nutraceuticals. I've seen several pharmacists on the Instagram sphere, if you're an Instagram, George, who are now becoming personal trainers and they're embedding into that personal training an aspect of medication management. And I'm like, holy crap, that makes absolute sense that if you love fitness and you like working out and you can turn that passion into becoming a personal trainer, if I had a choice of my personal trainer being a pharmacist or not, I'd pick the pharmacist <laughs> as I would think, hey, there's other aspects of, hey, I'm 49 years old. What medications or what supplements or what um, nitric oxide and, you know, what can I do to enhance um, my exercise and my health to get more out of it? And I'm thinking of a pharmacist doing that for me. So that really presents new opportunities that pharmacists that are listening to right now might not have thought of uh, those pharmacists that don't want to be in the national chain retail environment anymore, or they, you know, they just want to try something different. I think it comes down to doing your research in your own communities, because one community and sector of the United States may draw in a specific pharmacist in that 
capacity of long-term care consultancy or specialty or where that com- where that community pharmacist is needed more so because we have a bunch of pharmacy deserts out there George that don't have pharmacy services in specific areas that are more sparse um, the Dakotas for example um, major uh, deserts out there and I'm thinking to come back to your research and start kind of driving into how do we take the technology advancements of models like um, Aspen RX Health um, or um, you know uh, Care One Concierge and embedding technology into models that a pharmacist could say, "Hey, I'm going to go out on my own and I'm going to build my own quote unquote practice and start partnering with primary care and go find in my community what's truly needed from a pharmacist perspective." That is not um, make believe anymore. That's that's truly happening. So what aspect, what can you dig into in some of the research that you've done that you feel that is kind of like the lowest hanging fruit for the disrupting entrepreneurial driven pharmacists based on the research that you've done, George? Yeah, I think the lowest hanging fruit is really focusing on, you know, basically gaps in care. Because if you think about from a health plan perspective, you know, they're identifying all these gaps in care. A simple one, you know, could be, you know, diabetic, not on a statin to, you know, somebody that perhaps just isn't getting their flu shot. You know, they're spending all this money to try to engage that patient, that consumer to listen to that message. And we know that, you know, a much more effective way than going through direct mail or going through the health plan is to have the pharmacist or to have the provider engage that patient. And, you know, these are tied to quality scores in some cases. They're tied to you know, better clinical outcomes. So there's clearly value associated with that and figuring out how do I get that data? How do I then prioritize those interventions? How do I engage with the consumer when they're at the store? Or how do I blend a physical engagement with a digital or virtual engagement so that I meet the consumer you know, where their needs are? to talk to them about those things. I mean, that's kind of your basic low-hanging fruit. And I think that's the opportunity you see people trying to frame out, which is partly data, partly you know technology, getting it into the workflow and the point of sale system. Uh, it's also honestly, you know, kind of thinking about operations because I think you're seeing a resurgence in central fill, you know, discussions these days because you know there needs to be some freeing up of the pharmacist time to take, to do these tasks. I mean, there's a mix of, I both have to free up time and I have to figure out a way to get reimbursed for it because we all know that the pressure on the retail pharmacist today from a reimbursement perspective, you know, has really just continued to be ultra aggressive. And, you know, in that ultra aggressive mode, it's really hard to make money and do these services. And I think it's critical for, you know, honestly, the healthcare system, our ability to engage at the local level that, you know, we don't, you know, kind of, you know, bite off our nose to, you know, spite ourselves and go after, you know, driving that reimbursement so low without recognizing the clinical value and the engagement value of the pharmacist in the local community. So there's been some articles that have talked about new roles for pharmacists and how pharmacists can be used in analytics, uh, drug development, uh, pharmacy benefits, remote monitoring, uh, remote uh, telehealth environments. Uh, I I look at the specialty sector, you and I, before we started recording, we're talking about specialty pharmacy specifically. 
and there are uh, so many different specialty rare disease states that are becoming not as rare as as what they were uh, five and ten years ago. Let's talk about specialty for a second. In your research and un uncovering uh, what opportunities that you found, what in specialty pharmacy are you seeing as some of the highlight opportunities for pharmacists? Yeah, I think there's some really interesting things. I mean, yeah, and I'd even divide specialty into you have your traditional, you know, specialty meds, you know, your RA drugs and immunology. I'd say you have your rare and orphan type of drugs, and I think even cell and gene therapy drugs. And so I think each of them paint a slightly different picture because as you get into rare and ultra orphan, there's such a need for a high touch, uh, really understanding the patient, perhaps getting into companion diagnostics and genetic testing and things like that. And then at the far extreme, you have you know these cell and gene therapy drugs, which while today there's just a handful of those drugs, the pipeline says it's going to be huge. And as it starts to get into other disease states, you know, that really becomes something that has to be managed and thought of differently. And most of those drugs are not going to be delivered through the mail. They're going to be you know, delivered within a hospital provider setting, perhaps inpatient or outpatient. So really thinking about the clinical pharmacist role, we spent some time thinking that in the future, there's probably three roles of the pharmacist in this and specialty for the complex polychronic patient. There's still a very high touch physical need for the pharmacist interacting as part of a care team, dealing with the complexity of these drugs and these patients. But on the other sides of that, the, there's probably a you know virtual digital pharmacist role, looking at some of the stuff, as you mentioned, Aspen is doing and other things that engage the patient you know, differently or help create those algorithms and do some of the science behind that as a role for a pharmacist. And on the other side, more of a community-based pharmacist that's really getting into the home, they're addressing behavioral health, they're you know, focused on social determinants of health because we know it's you know, really hard to get somebody to refill a medication and be adherent when they're worried about paying for bills or putting food on the table and things like that. And I think you know, we as a healthcare system you know, need to be much more cognizant of how to address those, how to integrate those things, how to think about you know, cost structure and even you know, to start to get into as we looked at you know, future models, future payment models, we thought some they spent some time thinking about how do you care for and, and reimburse for, you know, gene uh, defects and things that the cell and gene therapy drugs cover? And, you know, how should that be covered in, you know, more of a universal care model versus things that a plan sponsor, a payer, a consumer can affect, which are really, you know, healthy choices you make, you know, perhaps where you live and your ability. You see, I think, health plans and others starting to invest in the community very differently than they used to, you know, five, 10 years ago, building housing, spending money, because they understand that, you know, getting things right at the community level are critical for, you know, patients to engage around their health. And that's where right now we have 60,000, you know, pharmacies in the U.S. that are embedded in these communities, often with relationships with patients that may have, you know, a multicultural focus and understand the local community and how they care. And I think we don't often take that into account enough. So the National Community Pharmacist Association is putting in an entire program through their long-term care division about medical home services for community pharmacies to build out that as an extended service 
of being a community pharmacy and, and having pharmacy technicians that are certified or a consultant pharmacist show up at a patient's home and do some ongoing uh, data collection of that patient based on the medication regime. And then of course, reporting that back through technology to an electronic health uh, record program uh, platform and program. And I think of a study that was done um, I think it was back in 2019 called Community-Based Pharmacy Practice Innovation and the Role of the Community-Based Pharmacist Practitioner in the United States. And this was published in the NCBI, um, uh, one of the medical journals. Really interesting by James Owen, Alexis Page, and Sharon uh, Gatewood. I'm going to have a link in our show notes uh, that references this. But George, herein lies uh, organizations like Catalyst, um, that have technologies of these dispensing systems that are right in the homes of the patient, uh, strip packaging that you partner with an organization like an uh, RX Safe, for example, and you you partner with some of these dispensing uh, mechanisms called like Spencer, uh, which is a, a really cool technology. And you think, so how do I take my existing customer base, client base, who's continuing to age? and expand services outside of my four walls as a community pharmacy into these homes. And it's interesting, even though technology is pushing us forward, we still need human touch. We still need that human connection. And those are the, are the opportunities that I see in community pharmacy. So we just talked about specialty pharmacy. Let's shift gears and talk about what you found as some of your opportunities through this uh, research that you've done with Deloitte um, regarding community pharmacy. Yeah, so I think you're right. I mean, you know, no, no place is going to get away, and I don't think any of us want to get away from a, a place where human touch is important. So, you know, there certainly is going to be more and more technology, and we're going to find that you, know, you do find seniors being increasingly willing to engage with technology. I think we a lot of times have a stereotype that they aren't, but you know, they love to use some of the voice-based technology that we've seen out in the you know market today. You know, some of them are increasingly. You know, familiar, I always I think the example everybody always uses is the grandparents start to use technology to communicate because the kids only communicate via text. So they start to get savvy with it. And there is a drop off, certainly, I think, in the recent work we were doing, we saw a massive drop off at like 85, 87. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of people where you can use that technology. And I think getting the pharmacist to both how do you use that technology to communicate, but also how do you get some of the data from the technology, from a smart home, from a smart device? How do you use that to drive an intervention or customize the way you talk to the patient? Uh, I was recently talking to somebody using you know, those uh, buttons, like the I've fallen buttons, and using that as a way to engage the patient differently within the home. So you know, rather than only using it for I'm fallen, you know, when you have a question about healthcare, how do you use that to you know, engage differently because somebody's always on, they can engage with you and talk to you. And so, you know, how do we just think about some of those things? And then, you know, what is the role of the pharmacist in that care team versus the tech, as you said, I think there's going to be some evolution between the PA, the NP, the pharmacist, all, I don't want to use the word competing necessarily, but, you know, competing to fill some of that gap that's left by a lack of physicians. Um, you know, as we see some physician shortage. So I think some of that will happen. And, you know, it's going to be important to define, you know, where is the best value add at the community level? And how does, 
the community pharmacy, you know, work with those patients, work with the long-term care facility. I think as we see more and more people age in home, as you see some of the, even the big hospital systems going to a hospital at home type of environment, there's going to be need for, you know, uh, really highly skilled clinicians to be able to be in a person's home, both to talk to them, to talk to their caregiver, to help them make smart decisions. And that's going to have to be very tech enabled, but that's going to, again, play well to all the community pharmacists we have and their roles at the local level. So what do you think of the, the efforts in place by so many of our national pharmacy associations to push for provider status? And in my own personal opinion is it's not a silver bullet. And as a matter of fact, if you're a pharmacist out there, um, you could be doing lots of the, uh, of the payment driven um, abilities and, and things through, uh, through collaborative care agreements with uh, local physicians already. But what do you think the impact of provider status would have on, on a report that you've done as well as a, a technology moving us forward in the hands of a, of a pharmacist that wants to be more consultative than, than a, a pharmacist who may work in a hospital system or in a, uh, in a, in a chain environment. Yeah. I mean, I think provider status is, yeah, I guess I always assumed that pharmacists were providers. I mean, yep. that just was a default assumption until somebody pointed out that, well, we're not technically recognized as right. you know providers to me, which just seemed crazy. I, I think getting the, the recognition from, you know, the way that billing works from the way that, you know, um, legal regulatory oversight works is important. It's, you know, so it's more than symbolic because it enables some of these things from an infrastructure perspective, from a regulatory and payment perspective to be easier. Um, but I also always kind of caution of, to your point, it's not a silver bullet. Pharmacists are doing a lot of these tasks today in many cases. You know, I think that some consumers like myself would be surprised that, you know, the pharmacist is not a provider in the legal sense of the word. And I think you certainly, the fact that we have so much state by state variation can be confusing. Um, I think also when I talk with people internationally, you know, the pharmacists in many other countries do a much broader job of, you know, where I think we want to get to in the US, or at least, you know, everybody I talk to would want to get to. And so I think getting that provider status will give them a bigger seat at the table um, and also just be a national recognition for all the things that they do and all the things that they could do. So in, in wrapping up, George, I want you to give our listeners a, a high-level summary of what's coming um, with the, the partnership uh, that, you've, um, that you've formed in, in reporting and putting a, a white paper together that's coming from, uh, from you and, and the organization called PQA. Yeah, so we had the great opportunity to do a you know, PQA webinar earlier this year and then building on some of the discussion and follow-up that we've had and some of the insights from that dialogue. You know, we're going back out and taking kind of the slideware and the conference presentations and putting that into a white paper that'll come out, you know, this fall. And so the Deloitte Center for Health Solutions, which is kind of our research group, is right now going out and interviewing, you know, probably 20, 30 different people, everybody from innovative clinical pharmacists to tech companies to others in the industry to get a point of view about how this is real today and how to think about things that people can be doing because 
you know, as I talk with payers and others, I'm always encouraging them, you know, don't wait for provider status. Don't wait till some regulatory environment changes. Look at how to engage the pharmacist differently today, how to contract with them, you know, the role they can play, the trust that they have with patients, and let's do something today, not wait for, you know, some infrastructure piece to pass in the future. That's great. We look forward to that. Uh, maybe we'll have you back and do another audio rendition of such research. I think that would be awesome. I call that audiotizing, George. Before I die, I'm going to get that word put in the dictionary, audiotize, because that's yeah. what we do. <laughs> That'd be a great way to be remembered. Yeah. But thank you so much, George, for coming back. Um, we hope to have you back. You're invited uh, back to to bring such research and ideas uh, to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Uh, with our listeners, but this has been great. Uh, Thank you so much. Thank you, Todd. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation. We were on with George Van Antwerp. He's with Deloitte, uh, amazing uh, pharmacist, futurist in what is coming. And like George said, don't wait. Uh, Provider status is terrific. It's going to make an impact to how pharmacists get paid, but there are ways to uh, get outside of your existing position. If you are unhappy, And uh, we ask you to reach out to the Pharmacy Podcast Network if, in fact, you'd like those ideas. You can send an email to publisher. That's publisher at pharmacypodcast.com. We will have contact information in the show notes uh, for George Van Antwerp through LinkedIn and also several links that support our conversation today, including the paper and the referenced uh, material uh, titled The Future of Pharmacy Disruption Creates transformative opportunities and challenges. And as always, from the bottom of my heart, I thank you, pharmacist. I am your number one greatest fan. Thank you, pharmacy technicians, for what you do every day. And most of all, thank you so much for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast.